tonight and the next two Wednesdays after tonight will follow a very similar theme entitled The Law. We're going to talk about the law, teach about the law. I'll ask you to not only bring your Bibles, but something to write on, write with, and take uh, as, as detailed notes as you possibly can. I want to read first from the book of Romans, chapter 7. Now, there are many places to begin, but we're going to try to take this subject in not just succinct order, but in bite-sized form so we can all understand it. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Paul is writing to the church found at Rome. He, he says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now that particular law, um, there's, a, there's derivatives of words in the New Testament. The New Testament was, was written in Greek originally. This is a Hellenistic society, Hellenistic. So Greece or Greek would be the predominant language that the New Testament was written in. If you wanted the entire Old Testament in Greek, that would have been called the Septuagint. If you can spell that right off the bat, you can get 50 points in the Scrabble game. Um, so these words have derivatives. Some of the Greek words have more than one meaning. But in this particular word, law, it, 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 would, it, would, mean, it would mean what you would think the word law means, but also would constitute uh, a constant. There is a constant. I find a, a constant law, something that's always present. It makes a demand on me. That every time I went to do good, evil was present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So Paul's going to say, what I really, really want my delight is in following God's law. But I see another law in my members. Now this obviously is a polarization of God's law. There is always an opposite. There's always something that, that opposes God. The other member, that's, the other law that's in his members are warring against the law of my mind. Wow. And bring me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So, so if I unpack that just clearly for you, the summary of those three verses are this. There's, there's a constant issue in Paul. Now, really, he's talking more, more than just himself. He's talking about all humanity. There is a constant problem in us. The constant problem is you cannot escape yourself. <laughs> if you could get away from yourself, you'd be an awesome person. But you cannot escape yourself. And we've heard it before when people say, well, you know, I'm my worst enemy. That, that is truth. We cannot escape. And so there's a law found in our members. The natural propensity of your nature is not to do right, but to do wrong. You were born with a sinful nature. Um, the psalmist wrote, behold... I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The most natural thing for us to do is wrong. And that's why when, when we read Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So, the nature of, of the individual, no matter who they are, is, is to do the opposite. There's always something battling for I delight, I, I want to do the law of God. The, the, there's something about that, Paul writes. But there's another law warring against. Two opposing forces. You want to do right, but, but there's something in your mind. And it brings you into captivity if you give in to the wrong law. This is paramount, and, and I'm going to continually go back over this in the next three weeks here. This is a three-week lesson. 
Because we're going to discuss something that we need, desperately need. One of the disadvantages of, of the Gentile people, and I'm, I know there's only one race, it's a human race, but just for our conversation, one of the great disadvantages of the Gentile race is that we, are, we were born lawless. The, the Jews had multiple traditions and customs that allowed them uh, to grow up with constraint, with concepts of decency. But the Gentiles did not have that. And what the Jews found on the day of Pentecost, the Gentiles did not discover that in Acts 10. Acts 2 and Acts 10 are very different. In Acts 2, the Jews found the the apostle peter's message not just palatable but 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 uh, acceptable because that message of acts chapter 2 and verse 38 specifically was very reminiscent of the tabernacle so when he said repent they knew what death was because within the construct of the tabernacle the first article in the tabernacle was an altar death you put the lamb on the altar, and the priest it was a, it was a, it was the largest article in the tabernacle, 150 feet by 75 feet long. The tabernacle, the first article you came to was the altar of sacrifice, death. So when Peter preached, you must repent of your sins. That was already in their psyche, their concept. It was written within the construct of their heritage. When he said, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, they had already in their mind the pool of water. They called it the molten sea. Because the next article after the, after the, the altar of sacrifice was the molten sea where the priest would wash, the washing. Plus, ritual baths were already in, in their lineage. They understood a ritual bath. They would dip in a ritual bath before they entered a holy place, especially the temple. They understood baptism also because John the Baptist had been preparing the way of the Lord. And he was a voice one crying in the wilderness. And he was saying, make his path straight. And he was baptizing people unto repentance. But he said, that, said to them, there's coming one after, after me. He's mightier than I. You'll be baptized in his name. But right now, you're going to be baptized under repentance. We find that phrasing in Acts 19, verses 1 through 7. And then the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That was in their construct. They understood that because that was the cloud of glory. That same cloud followed them, led them through the wilderness. It, 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 it led them, protected them. That cloud, that glory, that, that's what came down to consume the blood on the altar. The third main artifact of the tabernacle and, of course, of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. Blood was sprinkled there. The, the cloud of glory came down to consume. It gave life. They got to live because their sins were rolled back. So this is what the Jews had in their lineage, but the Gentiles had none of that. They knew none of it. They were never taught that. As a child, you grew up with Phylacteries. You 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 grew up with 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 a zit seat. You, you with, with with a shawl. You 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 recited morning, noon, and night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You you ate certain things. You you observed certain things. You you know even by this time in the New Testament, it was it was a staple. Purim was a staple. Purim, which is really not even of the big three festivals the, the big three festivals are, were, were was did not include purim it was it was it was it was passover pentecost and sukkot but purim was an observation of when esther fasted 3 days and then went into the king unannounced she could have died but if the king put his scepter forward it meant that he accepted her if he did not they would have killed her and so the jews by the time the new testament was written the jews had had Purim already. They, they had many, many practices and traditions and concepts and customs that led them to a holy God and it constrained their life. But the Gentiles had none of that. And so they had to learn 
And there were Jews in the New Testament that didn't like that the Gentiles didn't have none of that. And they, and they wanted to make sure all the Gentiles became Jews. And they were angry because the Gentiles would, would eat meat that had been offered to idols. And Paul had to step in because these people were called Judaizers. And the Judaizers wanted to convert all the Gentiles into Jews. And Paul said, hold on a second now. Circumcision or no circumcision, it doesn't matter. It's good for you, but leave them alone. This, this was a conflict. And part of the conflict was they didn't understand the law. And even the Jews at the time struggle with the law. And we struggle with it terribly today. And the reason why is because Christianity has morphed into something that it was not originally designed to be. World Christianity is not necessarily biblical Christianity. Amen. So just because someone calls them a Christian doesn't mean that they're a Bible-believing Christian. Well, one, one of the very uh, famous people in America today said that, that she now has been given to prayer. She prays. And then the next quote was, not necessarily to God. Well, my, my of course, obvious question is, then to whom? Your dog? Who? Maybe she's dyslexic. Sorry. It's a, it's a thoughts of a random. Uh, then who do you pray to? Pray tell. What, 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 what object? What per- Prayer means nothing. It has no value if it's not towards a higher deity. You can even pray to an authority, not necessarily God, that they would help you. I pray that you'll help me. It was, it's beseeching. But if you're going to pray a prayer for your life or your soul, your spirit, your family, you need to direct it to the only God can, that can hear you. Not the God of wood or stone. Not the God of material possessions. Not the God of government or sports. But, but the God of glory, the only God. The only wise God. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Amen. So Christianity has, has morphed into something that doesn't always follow the construct of the scripture. And so what, I'm, what I, I need to relate to the body of believers here and to guide you in is, is this beautiful aspect of the law and how it applies to our life. Not to disband it or dismiss it, but to rightly divide the word of truth. So I'm going to offer you, just as we begin here, a couple of misnomers of Christianity. Now, when I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that this is not an exhaustive list, when I mean it's not exhaustive, it means that there's probably more than I'm offering you, but we don't have all night to say all the bad things. We're just going to offer a few misnomers. The first misnomer of Christianity, and this is modern Christianity, is that grace removes the need for boundaries. No, it does not. Grace did not remove the need for you to have a boundary in your life. Shall we continue in sin, Paul wrote, that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as when baptized in Jesus Christ to put on Christ. Therefore we're buried with Christ by baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even also we should walk in newness of life. Romans 6. There are boundaries, and grace never removed your need, my need, for a boundary. Christianity without boundaries that, that tout grace is a reckless form of religion. <laughs> I don't, I just love God. I can do whatever I want to, or whatever I want to. Go tell your wife that. Really? Probably not. Okay. We could go down that road, but I think you've got the picture. If you don't, meet me in my office. We're going to talk about boundaries. Number two, any work of the individual is contrary to the cross. Now, I put the word work in quotes. Let me, let me give the scripture. For we are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. By grace, through faith, lest, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is right. You didn't, you, can't, you didn't earn your salvation. That doesn't remove your need for obedience. 
If you're going to write next to that, put the word obedience. The Bible says that Jesus became the eternal source of salvation for all who obeyed him. If you're saying that you can be good enough to be saved, that's a work. But repentance is not a work. It's a command and an obedience. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all die. Acts 3, oh, 16 or 19. One of those. It's close. In the teens. Bring therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Hmm. So there's a fruit of repentance. You're showing the fruit of repentance. So... The modern Christian says, well, I don't have to do anything because it was all done on the cross. Hold on a second. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You didn't read the whole Bible. Number three, this is a misnomer. God does not look on the outside of a person, only on the inside. Who, who told you that? Who told you that? That you are, you are extrapolating a philosophy that, that was not designed for an allowance. I'll give you the scripture in a moment. You are extrapolating. Anyone who says that, they're extrapolating an allowance for the flesh that was never designed by the scripture. Where, where did they get that? Here's where they got it. Samuel knows there needs to be a new king. He shows up at the house of Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. Eliab is, is the eldest son. Jesse thinks, here's my son, Samuel comes, Samuel's going to anoint Eliab because he's the oldest son. God says, hold on a second. You're judging him from the outside, I'm looking at the heart. So what we've done is, we've taken that script, people have taken that scripture, extrapolated from that scripture, that God doesn't see anyone on the outside. That he's blind to everything on the outside, he can only see your gallbladder, You can only see the interior lining of your lungs. This is not true. It's not true. What Christianity has done today, the modern Christian, what they've done today, they've taken small bits of pieces from the Bible and gelled them together so that it gives them allowances for the flesh. You are the children of the Most High God. You're under a different law. You don't obey the laws of this land, and God sees everything about your life. In fact, he sees the outside, too, because he knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows the intent of your heart, but he also knows the outside, too. (laughs) Well, okay. This is a misnomer. Here's number four. The scripture is bound by cultural relativism. That's a misnomer. It's not bound by cultural relativism. It's applicable for you today. The Bible is, is applied for you today. Now, the Bible was not written in our language. It was written several thousand years ago, 1,500 years in, in, in its writing, the oldest being Job, and then you wrap up the Bible with this, with this incredible uh, book of Revelation written on the Isle of Patmos by John. Patmos was an island prison. This amazing writing, the... the construct of it supports itself by different dispensations and times and seasons and these people wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that God's word is inspired. That means that all the writers were like, they were, they were taking the dictation of the one author. Writer and author. Writers, many. Authors, one. You got that? One author, many writers. So cultural relativism would mean, well, that was just cultural. We don't have to abide by that anymore. You know, the Bible is just cultural. We don't have to... If we, if we go down that road, we will destroy the entire Bible. We will destroy everything in the Scripture. And then we will create our own Bible based upon our own culture. <laughs> Number five, all laws are man-made. This is not true. Some laws are, but not all laws are man-made. Number six, sin is subjective. Mm. This is a very popular concept today. That, and, and we're hearing this in many, many ways. It's been going on for 
several years, but it really caught wind at a, um, at a judicial hearing where a person said something and there was no verification of what she said was true, but her supporters said she spoke, and I quote, her truth. People now speak their truth. Truth is not subjective to you. It's either true or it's a lie. If I'd have known that I could use my truth, I'd have told my parents when I was young. <laughs> this, this is my truth. Uh, my dad has too much common sense to fall for that, but that would have been a great uh, re- rebuttal for me. Sin is not subjective. God defined what sin is, and it's the definitions are found in the word. Now, there are, there are written, very clearly written sinful activities, and then there are principles that would constitute sin. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple. You, you keep your body, so you don't want to destroy your body. So there are things that are sins of the flesh. It's a derivative of the direct command. So we know that there are some things that wound us and hurt us and kill us and destroy us, and we don't want to put ourselves in that particular position, even though the Bible is not explicit in that. Sin is not subjective. Number seven, and this is the last one I'll offer for tonight. Jesus came to abolish the law of Moses. That is not true. He did not come to abolish the law of Moses. He came to fulfill the law. The Bible says that the law was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Of course, we've got to figure out what law that was, and we're going to. Okay. Those are seven misnomers. That means that they're not true. That means that they're commonly spoken, but they are not They are not factual. And I would say that the majority of these are rooted not just in subjectivism. I don't know how far down I want to go here. This Um, they're, They're rooted in mass consciousness. So these misnomers hold to um, the, the, the pendulum swing of what any society would deem as, um, as the new moral code or religious code. And so these misnomers that I present to you uh, that reside within Christianity have actually pulled out the tenets, the original tenets of Christianity. So now it's very wobbly and it does not really hold uh, the truth. I want to just for a moment describe the need for law. The need for law. Now statistics can be presented which lead away from the truth. Anyone can bring it in statistics. So it's important that you have both a large and large view, maybe a wide view, and maybe even a narrow view of any one subject. This would, this would, could be, if, if these terms are more palatable, a micro and a, and a macro view. The large picture and maybe even the single frame. But in, uh, and in fact, in case law, both are equally important uh, and both views tend to support one another. They must support one another. So I'll offer a little insight to help us with, with this. There's a German highway called the Autobahn. And this highway features parts, not all of it, but there are parts where there are no speed limits. You cannot get a speeding ticket in those stretches of, of, of the Autobahn. You can drive as fast as you want, slow as you want, and, and no one's going to pull you over. Um, now, there are etiquettes among the German drivers that are very different than the, than the U.S. driver, and they have a, a little different culture in driving. Uh, we have significantly more roads and highway systems than Germany. Of course, we have a larger landmass. We we have, however, in the United States, um, we have many many more drivers that are less trained. It takes hours and hours and hours to get your driver's license going through to acquire that in Germany, um, and 
and consequently, we have about, uh, we, we have almost twice, not quite, twice more deaths per 1,000 than they do on the highway. And that is the macro view. That's a large view of this, a large picture of the statistics. However, I'm leaving out a very vital part of the information. More drivers mean more possibilities, yes. Less experienced drivers means more accidents, yes. People don't want to admit to this, but there's a reason why the highest insurance premium is for a 16-year-old boy. Now, if we're going to do away with gender, we got to, someone's need to tell Allstate and State Farm. Because they've been overcharging you quite a bit. And in fact, if you'd like to identify as a 40-year-old excellent driver, female, your premiums will surely go down. This all works until it gets down to paper and there's money involved. And then they're going to say, oh no, how old are you? 16? Yes. $400 a month. Whatever. This is true. And I'm sorry, young men, I'm sorry. But you are more dangerous than a 16-year-old girl behind a wheel. I... I'm sorry. They're more cautious. They're more attentive. You're more erratic. That, that, this is true because the statistics play out. It's true. So all you mamas with a lot of boys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't your fault anyways. Your husband, he determined the gender. It's another reason to get mad at him. These are, these are biological facts. Did you all not know this stuff? You're, listen, we're not just talking Bible. I'm, I'm, I want a wide variety of, of brains. We're going to put a lot of good cells in your brain that increases. So on the Autobahn, you, there's places where you can drive as fast as you want to drive. And, and in America, um, we don't have any of those things. Although I, I did notice while I was driving through Arkansas that the speed limit actually was at 75 miles an hour. There's these speed limits, 75. It was amazing. It was like, wow, 75 miles an hour. And, and I went 75 and people were just passing me up because it doesn't matter what the speed limit is. You know, you can calculate about six to seven miles per hour past the speed limit and they usually won't pull you over. At least that's, that's what someone told me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Now, the alcohol, blood alcohol levels in the U.S. gives you a greater allowance. In fact, you can have more drinks per your body weight here than you can there. The, the, you, you, if, you're, if you're pulled over there and your, your blood alcohol level is, is to a certain point, it's a low level, then you're arrested. So our system even puts more people back behind the wheel if they are arrested than, other, than this other country in many European countries. Now, that doesn't mean that they're great drivers. I'm just talking about Germany. And all of this, of course, leads to uh, a difference in death per 1,000. The little fact that I'm leaving out, the most disturbing fact, however, is that if you're driving 55 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour on a highway here, and you have an accident, you have a, you have a, a very good probability that you will not die. But if you're driving an Autobahn over 120 miles an hour, which is typical, or 150 clicks, the chances of death are magnified. Same, you hit the same uh, pole, the same ditch, the same, the speed limit or the absence of it tells the greater story. 120 miles an hour is probable death, dismemberment, or paralyzation. 55 is less injury, some serious injury, fewer death. So what I'm trying to describe to you is limit or no limit. Limitations, no limitations. Law, lawlessness. Sexually transmitted diseases, STDs. I'll tell you exactly how to keep yourself from having a sexually transmitted disease, which has now run rampant. Most of the, most of the STDs are not reacting to the penicillins we used to give people. It's one sexual partner in marriage for the entirety of your life and it almost eradicates every STD transmission. That's limitation. Getting pregnant or getting someone else pregnant is greatly reduced if you're not sexually active. Who would have thought... 
my grandfather would have hit me right now if, I'd have, if he'd have known that I was saying this from the pulpit. Limit, no limit. With limitations, construct, law, limitless. I, I, can, I can go much further than that because it's not just an STD, but the stain on the brain, the baggage that people bring into the marriage, the baggage is created prior to the, to the last commitment. So, limitations provide something that without limitations cannot provide. Lung cancer may occur if you do not smoke, of course, but if you do smoke, you will get some form of lung cancer. Dr. Larry Keston is a friend of mine. He trained so many, he has th- over 300 papers attributed to him. Most of his students now work at, work at um, MD Anderson and they work at the Mayo Clinic and he is still stationed in, in um, the Beaumont Hospital in Sterling Heights, Michigan. He's one of the most profound lung cancer specialists in the country. He was here for my 50th uh, birthday party. Larry and I grew up in the same town and we were best friends since we were just babies, children. And Larry is talking to me about lung cancer, that even if you stop smoking for many, many years, you have 70 to 80% chance of still getting lung cancer even decades after you stop smoking because those cells don't leave your lungs. Whether it's fatal or not, it, 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 sometimes it's determined by your genetics or sometimes it's, there's other factors. But without limit, the probability of you getting lung cancer is almost certain. It's almost certain. Because... There's limitations and there, aren't, there are things, not limitations. L- let me just help all of you, especially now in the season. Buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like. Um, uh, the credit card companies never issue a credit card to you without limitations. You will have some limitations. My credit card company has keep asking me, do you want to raise your spending limit? No, I don't want to raise my spending limit. I'd like to reduce my spending. The creditor, if they're going to give you a credit line, they're going to consider your income, and they'll give you an amount that you can spend. It's not unlimited. Watch this now, and this is on your screen, I think. Guidelines providing boundaries for conduct in all manners pertaining to a particular nation, community, or religious practice. This is law. I'm giving the definition for law. Guidelines. Guidelines. They provide limitations. They provide boundaries. I'll give you another definition. These are my working definitions, and and we can expand them or or contract. A a law, a system of rules which govern the members of a community or a country. We we could even say of a church or religion. There There are particular laws... In every part. There are some laws in some homes here. They they may not be laws where you can be arrested, but some of our customs become laws. There are some people, if you go to their home, they would like you to take your shoes off at the door. And and that's, if you know you're going over there, you make sure uh, that you put on the right pair of socks. Uh, we went to people's homes and, 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 and mom and dad said, we're going to go home. We didn't know we had to take our shoes off. Invariably, every time we'd go to some house like that, we'd have holes in our socks and my mother would get embarrassed and she would say, just pull it, pull it forward and tuck it under your toe. <laughs> and then she would say to the people, I don't know what's wrong with these boys. They have holes in their socks. And then that's when Scott would talk about mom needs to darn the socks. And then he would go on, of course, and talk about the darn socks. So, you know, he would always get in trouble for that. It was a wonderful memory. Laws and customs, they provide guidelines, boundaries for conduct. Some things we do in this room that we don't, we reserve for this room, but, but there are many things that we don't do in this setting that we find appropriate in another setting. For instance, you bring in water or something to drink, but probably it probably would not be wise to bring in a chef's salad while I'm teaching. 
it, it, it's, it's, you're not going to get arrested, but it's, it's inappropriate. There's, it's a guideline. Some, some things are, 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 are transferable. Some things are assumed. But somewhere we've learned a protocol or conduct which we will term under, and you should write this down, decency. Decency. Because we've lost, in a, in, at least in our society, we've lost the concept of decency so that if it's not against the law, then no one bothers with it. But there are some things that are, uh, that are not decent but are still lawful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's not against the law, but it's, un- in, it's indecent. It's indecent. I'll give you a couple big headings and we'll go, we'll go from there. Now, there's so much material here. I just I, I, I want us to understand this. Limit is law. Limit is law. We're, we're going to switch these things around a lot. Limit. A law is going gonna, is gonna to impose something on us, a limit. And these limits uh, are often healthy for us. Now, I say often because not always. We have to be very careful in how we think about law. I'll give you seven classifications, what limitations produce. These are... These are classifications um, because they're, they're broader. There's like large umbrellas. And limitations produce at least these seven. Once again, this is not exhaustive. All right, number one, safety. Uh, a law will provide safety. There are certain things that you should do here. Now, when I go to England uh, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm in the cab... Uh, because I haven't driven in England, but when I in the cab, um, they drive on the the other side of the road. They, they they drive on the left side of the road, and um, that's a little you know if if you're not accustomed to that you know you you, you it's it's interesting, but you you have to obey that law if you're going to drive. You don't drive like an American. You don't, you don't drive on the right side of the road. You drive on the left side of the road. And that, there's a few things that you, that you just don't do. Now, there are things here that also provide our safety. A double line, double yellow line, means you don't pass someone. You do not pass. That provides your safety. So we can have cars driving 60 miles an hour in opposite directions... And the only thing that separates them is a law of two yellow lines on the, on the road. Now, if that law was not in existence, or their lines were not there to indicate, many people would die every day. Now, you, don't, you don't think that all the time because it's built in. So while we're fighting all these other laws of lifestyle, just know there are some laws that you do not violate. Because like the two yellow lines, there's other laws of the spirit and of your life, that if you violate them, you're going to die. I've taught about these things many, many times, and I'm going to cover a lot of these laws. They're found in the word. You're going to die. Now, you may not die right now physically, but you could die spiritually. Can you imagine people could live and then die spiritually? Being born again and then dying. A death, a spiritual death. Lost faith. Lost, Lost all your purpose. Because you didn't follow the laws of the Lord. So the first thing the laws produce is safety. The next thing is constraint. They produce a constraint. This is a large umbrella constraint. Whether that's taught, I don't know if it's innate, but it's taught as learned behavior. Um, it, it wouldn't be innate, but there's certain laws. It, it, it's um, uh, Pavlov's dog uh, is, a, is, is a great example of, of what every child will grow up with. Um, constraint. Um, this action produces a, a, a bad moment for you. This produces a good moment for you. Um, and so we would all, you know, I, I didn't always know what to say. I replied to my father. I would usually listen to my, my brother Scott. And whatever the outcome was, that's the path. Uh, if it was a bad outcome, I didn't know what to say, but I just knew don't say whatever he said, don't say that. Um, one of the problems with, with our society right now is that people want their children to be good, but they won't constrain themselves. I don't think there's any problem children. 
there are no problem children. That's, that's baloney. There's no problem children. There's problem parents. We want our children to act a certain way, but we won't act that way. People are giving themselves allowances for what they say and what they do. And then they're expecting their children, well, I don't know why he would do that. Well, I know why he or she would do that. I know what that little child did. Because you're doing something at home. You have no boundaries, no laws at home. Because you decided that you didn't want to feel guilty about enacting a statute at your house, in your home, in your life. So what you did was, instead of coming home and greeting everyone and having manners and being kind and saying something nice to your spouse, instead of, instead of complimenting everyone and asking about them, you sat down and vegetated out in front, of a, in front of a movie or a TV every day, and now your children don't know how to communicate, and they get to a certain place, and by the time they're older, you don't understand, well, what, what, what went wrong? You are the one that went wrong. A, a gentleman was in this house and a tragedy befell his son and he said to me, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I want to know what went wrong. And in my brain, I said, you've asked the question and you are the answer. Ooh. But I have another law. <laughs> and it comes from the Proverbs. And the Proverbs has a law for me. If, rebu- if you rebuke a wise son, he'll love you. But if you rebuke an angry son, a scorner, he'll hate you even more. <laughs> so there are some things I will not say because I already know the actions and the reactions of the person that needs to hear it. You've taught me how to, how to be your pastor. I'm a trained pastor. You've trained me both collectively and individually. So the problem is, we should be producing constraint, but we're not producing constraint because we don't have consistency in laws. But a law should produce constraint. Number three is disciplines. Disciplines are not not spankings and all that stuff. Disciplines are really, I mean, in fact, that's a very small portion. Disciplines are, are, is continuity in conduct. Continuity and conduct. It's a discipline. In fact, it'd be better for you to have a discipline of diet than to have an actual diet. Maybe I should phrase it this way. A discipline of food rather than a diet. There are no diets that last. In fact, I'm living proof that every diet that I've ever been on has been violated at some point. Why? Because I crossed the double line. And I've had head-on collisions with... Pastries, bread, pastas, cream. (laughs) Disciplines are really about continuity when you get up, when you go to bed. One of the greatest disciplines you'll ever find in your life is a clean bed and a clean house. And the people went crazy. They loved it. They rejoiced. A discipline. Law will produce disciplines. Now, of course, the laws can be violated. Number four, understanding. You'll have understanding. Certain laws will give understanding. Number five, I've got to move. It's order. Laws will bring order. You have to have some order to life. Our God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He's not a flippant God. In fact, you can't even come to him any way you want to come to him. Whoever said that, that should be another misnomer. (laughs) Moses had to take his shoes off. God said, that's holy ground where you're standing. Come as you are. Really? okay, Okay, you can, but you can't leave the way you came. In fact, you can't really always come as you are. Sometimes you have to come humbly. If you're coming as you are and that's proud, arrogant, hateful, wait a second, hold on, you're approaching a holy God. You're, you're, you're approaching a holy God. Whenever I wanted something from my father, I, I wasn't angry. I, I, I was petitioning him, Dad, I made a case, Dad, you know. Do you think, I've learned, I've learned that. Through the years, God is a God of order. When, when he, when he, fed the 5,000, he had them sit down in companies of 50. 
order. When they laughed him to scorn, he said, this, this girl is sleeping, the daughter of Jairus. He kicked everyone out and brought only in Peter, James, and John and the parents. Because he's not going to do his miracle outside of order. He will not do anything in chaos. And here's the Bible. Let all things be done decently and in order. He's not going to step into your chaotic mess. You come. The law produces an order. There should be an order. Now some, some might call it a hierarchy or a pecking order. But there is something about order. The law. There's a law of, of, of the gray-haired man, the gray-haired woman. Which the Bible declares as wisdom. And to honor and respect our elders. When we, this is happening now. Because young people and children do not respect elders. Why? Because it was never in the home. Because they didn't respect each other there. But law should bring order. And then six is predictability. Now, these don't all, these are not all the same kind, make, and model. But I'm just giving you seven of these non-exhaustive big terms classifications that limitations or law brings. Predictability. I can predict certain things because of the law. I can predict them. And then finally, it brings confidence. Law will bring confidence. You see, the violation of a law, and we're going to get into this in a moment, the violation of the law, there ought to be a penalty for the violation of the law. So, to have a law in a society brings confidence. The reason why we have doorbells with with cameras on them Signs, beware of dog, even though no one has a dog. Um, alarm systems. All of these cameras everywhere. It's because we are producing a lawless society. Why? Why? How? Because when you have no penalty, there's no retribution. Where did that begin? It never began in government. No, no. It did not begin in government. Do not blame the government, the police force, or the courts for a lawless society. If you want to know where, where it rests, it rests with daddy. Dad is unconstrained. Fathers are not fathers. And so dad and fathers must stand up. And if, and if the church can exhibit this, think, think about this. In the Muslim community, it's the men who are worshiping, dancing, and praying on their face. In the Muslim community. All of Islam. In the Hindu community, men are leading in worship and prayer. And they're praying in, on their knees. That's in, the, that's in Hinduism. In Judaism, the men are dancing, leading, and in prayer. They're the ones that lead. The only major religion in the world where the men do not lead is Christianity. The women lead. That's called dysfunctional religion. How are we doing? <laughs> There's a confidence because if there, is, if there is something that happens and you violate the law, then there's a predictability. You can predict. There, listen, I, 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 have to, I have to minister to my generation in my time. But when I was a child, there was nothing for people to leave their doors unlocked. It was, it, that was nothing. It was, it, was, it was common. People didn't have, they didn't, they, our cars did not have alarm systems. They, they didn't have, you, you could leave things around. And, and people had a different thought. It, and there was deterrence for those who were caught. But there, was, there were things that were instituted in homes and, and in schools and in, and, and in life. And so, we, we're, we're, we're changing these limitations, and thus we're diluting the law. Now, the law will make a demand on the outward deed. It, it, it doesn't change the inward heart. So, you can have a law, people could be following a script, but that doesn't mean that their heart's right. And their outward conduct could be in line with what's written on a piece of paper, but that doesn't produce a right spirit or a good attitude. And my father and my mother, Tammy and I, we're, we're not satisfied with following the rules. We want, we want our kids not just to follow the rules. That's the low bar. Oh, I did what was right. 
But the Bible says that there was a king, Amaziah, who did that which was right in the sight of God, but not with a perfect heart. Think, you could do what's right, but not with the right spirit and not with a perfect heart. So, we want to produce the right action with the right attitude, with the right spirit. Of course, that has to do with authority. That has to do with honor. That has to do with recognition. So we don't want to just do what's right. We want to do it what's right with a perfect heart, too. And the problem is we, we have, we have uh, people who will follow letters of, of the script or letters of the law, but they do it begrudgingly, and they produce people after them who despise what was done. I despise what you did because you didn't love it, so I'm not going to do it at all. If we don't have a penalty for the law, what happens when you remove the penalty? It's lawlessness. Wicked actions are lawless actions. Here's, here's something for you. To remove the law means to invite undesirable actions. If you remove the law, you're going you're gonna to invite, okay, so... So more people died on our highways than on the Autobahn. The, the difference is, if you have an accident here, you probably won't die. But if you have an accident on that Autobahn, on that stretch, you will die. Because you can't go 150 miles an hour and hit something and, and have the same effect on your body. The law of inertia means that your brain is going to move past your skull. I don't want to be graphic, but, but, but it's, it's a tragedy. You cannot take that much trauma. So if you remove law, you invite undesirable actions. And also, to remove the penalty means then to nullify the law. So we remove the law, but now if you don't have any penalty, you have a law, but you don't have penalty for it, so things can be written down, but if there's not a penalty for it, then you nullify what was written. Oh my. Boy, we're in trouble right now, aren't we? We're in trouble. Because we have a lot of people who want all of their actions to be erased. And there's no consequence for living flagrantly. This is not the way of God. This is not the way of God. You bring your body under subjection. Please don't tell anyone that you couldn't help it. Whatever it is, I just couldn't help it. You can help it. You're the only one who can help it. The young teenagers years ago got caught, you know, and, 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 and they did something wrong and they were in the car and they were making out and, and, and later on they said, we just couldn't help it. Let her dad knock on the window of the car and then you can help it really quick. It's amazing. Let the police show up. You can help it. You can help yourself. Yes, you can. You can help it. It's a cop-out to say, I can't help it. I don't want to deviate too far. But, but especially Pentecostals, we like to spiritualize everything. It was the spirit did that. It was, it was the, the, the devil made that. It was, it was, I was possessed. You were not possessed. You're not possessed. That's you. That wasn't the devil. He didn't even think of that. Stop giving him credit for it. I know the spirit has afflicted my child. No. No, no, that's, that's, uh, that's a, you afflicted him. That's right. You taught him all of that. You allowed all of that. You removed boundaries. You removed limitations. And so now you produce this, and now you're going to say, the devil's really attacking us. He's not attacking you. He might be using what you have, what you have provided, the land, but he's not attacking you. In fact, the Bible says that the spirit roams looking for dry places. You want, you want a spirit, a demonic spirit invasion? Get dry. Don't go to prayer. Don't sign up for prayer 300. Don't ever fast. Never read your Bible. You'll be dry. Sit at church, dumb-faced, silent. Don't ever clap. Don't ever love. Don't ever sing. And you'll be dry. You'll end up dry. And then a dry place is what the devil's looking for. He loves the dry. I preached about in the dry. You don't want to be in the dry. And you produce that. Don't blame 
The Pentecostals blame. We, we, we have the wonderful spirit. We love the Lord. And, and there is demonic things. And we, we press against that. And, but, but please don't blame all of the things that are contrary on demonic forces. It's probably that you cross the devil line too many times. Amen. The idea of the law is to condition us for proper behavior. But unless there's a heart for righteousness or to do good, proper behavior usually does not occur. Okay, so I have just five minutes left, and I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but we're going to get to moral law, civil law, and ceremonial law, but we're not going to do that tonight. Um, the great uh, offense against the word of God what God originally spoke. There's, a, there's a, something that's akin to it, but it's disobedience. And disobedience is, is akin to rebellion, to rebel against God's word, if you rebel. Have you ever met someone who is, has a rebellious spirit? Rebellion. Do you know someone who's, who's rebellious? Are they close by? <laughs> Rebellion is the action, the willful, willful action. And this is not on your screen, but you can write it down. It's the willful action, my working definition. The willful action by a disobedient heart. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. So, if, if you say, oh, I, I, you know, I, they have a good heart, they just, they just have a problem cussing all the time. Well, they probably don't have a good heart. Uh, the cuss words didn't come out here, they started down here in the heart. The inner core. Um, and... Th- Rebellion is that human spirit and it defies intangible laws which pertain to the heart. Rebellion is is a human spirit and it defies three main categories. Honor, respect, and submission. Now rebellion is not always so overt that it's easily seen. There's passive-aggressive people. The people who are rebellious, they cry. They cry. But they're rebellion. It's rebellious. Now, I, I'm taking... When people cry, and then they say the wrong thing, I, I would, at first, I was disarmed. I, I, I couldn't... Especially a lady who would, who would cry, and then she would say something really ugly, but tears are coming down, and it was heartfelt, but it was rebellion. I couldn't compute. Okay, tears and, and hatefulness. Like, you know, I couldn't... It's hard to manage. But I, I got a little better and figured out that's just a cover for that very horrible spirit. It's still rebellion. It's, it's rebellion. And rebellion will, it, it, the, it, it pertains to the heart and, and it defies honor. Because honor and rebellion are like oil and water. They never mix up. They never, they never, they never combine. The molecules don't combine. They just always will separate. Respect. It's, it's, it's in the family and submission. It's in the family. Honor, respect, submission. And a rebellious spirit is a spirit designed from the humanity, the human heart. Jezebel was a rebellious woman. And we know that there is a Jezebel type spirit. It's not a demonic spirit. It's something we produce. A Jezebel spirit. And a Jezebel spirit has nothing to do with Maybelline and eyeshadow. It doesn't have anything to do with, it doesn't have anything to do with, with, with a, a hairdo. It, it has nothing to do with the outward appearance. It has to do with the heart. And it doesn't have, has nothing to do with gender. It's not about, it's not con- confined to women. A rebellious spirit or a Jezebel spirit is a spirit that likes to take dominion or dominance over other people. Now we see that more, more clearly in, 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 in women because the curse of the garden was that, that, that she would always 
looked her husband. Her, her desire would be to lord over her husband. She'd have, to, she'd have to look to him. That's not how she was originally designed. She was to help meet. Meet comes from the word meter or to balance. In fact, go read your Bible. He made, he made everything the first day. God said, that's good. Second day, he said, that's good. Third day, he got done making all, that's good. Fourth day, that's good. Fifth, that's good. Sixth day, Adam was, that's good. Seventh day, he rested. When it, did, when it wasn't good, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. The woman was the first answer to the first problem. The only way to fix something that was not good was to create a woman. She answered the question. She answered it. But because she rebelled against God's word, even though order wasn't in place, remember order was in place, go look in the New Testament, the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. Eve was not around when God said you can eat everything, but you can't eat that tree. I'm going to talk about it next week. You can't eat that tree. It was his job to relate God's word to her. <laughs> And he didn't do a very good job. She says, look, here's a nice tree. It's a beautiful fruit. We've never had this before. I'd like it. I want it. Serpent comes along and says, you should have it. God doesn't want you to have it, but you should have it. You'll, you'll, you'll know everything. I'd like to have it. It's desirable. He stood by. Adam stands by. He says nothing. Does nothing. Doesn't say, you know, maybe we should reconsider this. Nothing of that. You know, God told me I don't feel good about this in my spirit. No check in the spirit. Nothing. He, she's a beautiful lady. She's a beautiful woman. He wants to please her. This is good. Okay, whatever you want. Fine. You take a bite first. If you don't die, I'll die. I'll, I'll eat it too. But we're doing good. Spineless. This is, you know what afflicts Christianity? Weak men and silly women. Go read in your Bible. We ain't got time for weak men and silly women. <laughs> oh man, I'm just kind of. I better wrap this up. Uh, honor. So the rebellion is against God. And rebellion always defies the law. Rebellion is always against the law. The law of our home, the law of the land, the law of God, the law of decency. Rebellion always finds its way against whatever law that's present. And, and remember when I'm telling you this. People become rebellious by their own design. No one makes you rebel. No one, no one forces you to be rebellious. You decide to be rebellious all you want. And the Bible says that rebellion is witchcraft. Whoa. Rebellion is witchcraft. You don't think it is because that's the literal interpretation. Rebellion as, as, as of the sin of witchcraft, which literally means rebellion is, a, is, is injunction or junk, uh, a, 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 is joined together with witchcraft. Whoa. Well, you don't think they're rebellious. Now they got a problem because they've been calling up spirits and playing on Ouija boards and they've been doing seances. We're just, I just have a rebellious child. Same thing. You just didn't want to categorize it, but the Bible already did that. Here's, here, here's where I'm coming from. I'm not coming from what's palatable to our society or what the Christian community thinks is okay or not okay. I'm just going to stay right in the Word and, and teach the Word about law and about what God desires, not what I desire. There's a, there's a law. It's working in my system, my body. I want to do well, but it's boring and... And there's the law of God. I want the law of God, but the law of my flesh is battling that. And every day, the greatest battlefield of your life is in your mind. You're warring in your mind. You've got to bring your body. This is what Paul said. I bring my body under subjection, lest after I preach, I myself am also a castaway. Can you imagine Paul converting most of Asia Minor, writing 13 books of the New Testament, one of the greatest prolific soul winners of all time, the Apostle Paul, who shook off a viper in the fire, who raised the dead Eutychus when he fell out of a third-story window, Paul, the powerful Paul, who prayed and sang and jails flew open and the people ran to him and they had to change the jailer when he was put in prison every two minutes because he kept converting them. And Paul said, i got to bring my body subjective because if I do all this stuff, I can still become a castaway 
He had to follow the law of the Lord because there's a in his own members, Paul said, every time I went to do good, evil was present. So much so that every sometimes I did things I didn't want to do and I, and I didn't do things that I should be doing. So if Paul wrote that, where does that leave all of us? I'll just leave you with this. We're talking about the law and we're going to delineate the law of the Bible and the law of the Old Testament. But we're never going to forget that there's a double line. There's a double line. And you should never cross that double line. Not in words, not in actions, not what you take into your ears, not what you do with your hands, not the places you go. Amen. Because if you do, you'll die a death that you don't want to die. You'll injure yourself and someone else and you don't want to be injured that way. Amen. Whew. Okay. Everyone said amen. amen. I love you. Stand with me now. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Everyone say thank you, Jesus, for your word. We give you praise and glory. Amen, 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 amen.